Well, sourdough is the best bread you can possibly eat. <laughs> uh, the easiest one to digest, as you rightfully noticed. And this is all due to fermentation, of course. Is gluten-free sourdough a fake marketing tactic? That's just one topic we're discussing today in the interview that I have with Elena from Izio Bakery. We are diving deep in all things sourdough, fake versus real, how to spot fake sourdough, common myths, and so much more. Today's interview is so inviting. I cannot wait for you all to listen. So let's dive right in. Well, thank you so much, Elena, for joining me today. You're very welcome. I'm very happy to be here. And I hope you can understand my accent, which is very tricky. Could be very it, It's beautiful. Where are you from? Well, originally, I am from the most unpopular country in the whole world, Russia. And how long have you been here in the States? Uh, for nearly 10 years or something. Wow, wow. And um, why don't you just introduce yourself and explain to all of my listeners who you are and what you do? Well, I'm Elena, and uh, I work with Izio Artisan Bakery. Since I moved to United States, I've been working in uh, CPG or consumer packaged goods industry for like all the time that I've been living here. And before that, I've been working in a fitness industry. So I used to run the gyms uh, as a manager and I'm still certified as a personal trainer under NASA, National Academy of Sports Medicine here in the States. Uh, I don't work like one anymore. So now it's just a passion. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm still very interested in industry and, uh, of course, um, track all the trends and nutritional trends too. Wonderful. And so today I have a few questions about sourdough. We're going to dig right into it. So you work for Izio Bakery. Yes, I work for Izio Bakery. Uh, Izio is a family-owned business and my family owns a part of it. Uh, and our families are friends. We knew each other for 20 years. So it's two families that knew each other for 20 years and we do Izio together. <laughs> well, I I personally fell in love with Izio bread. Uh, I believe actually it was in uh, during lockdown and COVID in 2020. I found your bread. Uh, we connected in 2020 and it was really the only store-bought sourdough that I could personally digest because I've tried other store-bought sourdoughs and it just wasn't happening. And I was like, well, what's, why can I digest yours, you know, and not others? And since then I've been recommending it to all my Instagram followers and they come back telling me the same thing that they can digest Izio, but not, um, not others. And so um, I want to get into why that is and uh what is sourdough? Let's let's just go plain and simple. What is it? Well, sourdough is the best bread you can possibly eat. Of course. <laughs> one. Uh, the easiest one to digest, as you rightfully noticed. And this is all due to fermentation, of course. 
the main difference of sourdough is the fermentation or the length of the fermentation and how it's done. And if we are to talk, you know, about the breads and store-bought breads and how it's produced, let's start from the basics. If you go to the grocery store and, you know, uh, we'll look at the shelves and flip the breads to see the nutritional labels, on most of the breads, you see a periodic table instead of ingredient list. I mean, the ingredient lists are as long as, I don't know, a poem. <laughs> and most, <laughs> of those, most of those words, you don't know what they mean. You don't hear them in your everyday life. You don't see them in your everyday life. It's kind of fascinating to a chemist, but... Even talking about other sourdough, I'll turn it over and there is a list of ingredients. And so sourdough is fermented, which makes it a lot easier to digest. But also there's there's a lot of fake sourdough out there. So can you explain what fake sourdough is versus real sourdough? And if it's really fermented or if it, they're just trying to make it taste sour, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so first of all, uh, I am not a food scientist and neither I am a nutritionist. So that's something very important to note here. So <laughs> I can tell you the basics and, you know, something I learned from working with bread for a long time. But um, when we are talking about such things are as uh, gluten digestibility, you know, or your gut health, your health in general, you should always do your own research. And I, I think everyone knows it. So back to sourdough. Um, I would say anything that has more than five ingredients on its ingredient list will be sour fox, as we call it. So fake sourdough. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Uh, sourdough typically should have water sourdough starter or a mother culture, flour, and some salt. And that's it. That's it. So that's it. That's flour, salt. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, no yeast even, because I've seen that. No, 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 no. That's uh, a big uh, point in spotting a real sourdough versus sour fox. The Mm -hmm. yeast, real sourdough do not have added baker's yeast. Uh, right. so-called wildest indigenous yeast that comes with the starters. Most of the traditional bakeries have their starters for, I don't know, hundreds of years probably. The Boudin Bakery in San Francisco, they probably have a starter which is like, I don't know, 120 years old, you know, since they started. Wow. How old is your starter? 1994. We started oh. the bakery at 1994 and this is oh. how we our starters. <laughs> Wow. And you use the same starter? Yeah, we use the same base. We, I mean, we feed it, you know, we refeed mm-hmm. it because the starter is like a pet. <laughs> dedicated. It has a dedicated spot at the bakery to live, you know, and um, you get in there. It's like a little freezer, not a freezer, but it's a very cold, you know, space. And <laughs> there are all these buckets with the starter and you refeed it with some water and flour. Mm-hmm. So it is like a house pet. You make it happy. You feed it on schedule. Uh, you make sure it has the right temperature so that it behaves well. So no yeast. 
Andrew Sourdough. No it's yeast. Okay. No yeast. Natural fermentation that comes uh, from the interaction of lactobacillus and acidobacillus or whatever is else there in the starter. There are uh, the microbiome of the sourdough starters is enormous. It's enormous. There is a lot of, <laughs> I don't know, species, but two main are uh, lactobacillus and acidobacillus. Everyone okay. knows those. Yeah. So the sourdough fermentation comes with in, uh, interaction of those bacteria with the carbohydrates and starches and sugars and the flour. So bacteria are hungry. <laughs> They're <laughs> ravenous and they attack the starches and carbohydrates and the flour. They eat them and those ferment, uh, producing the rice. So this is how the dough um, rises. Uh, then, yeah, there is a salt for some, you know, taste, and there is some water, and uh, the fermentation time, I would say, from what I have heard and learned, should be at least, like, maybe nine hours. Nine hours, just to ferment. Just, just, just like a minimum. A minimum, uh, okay. Some of our batches went up to 72 hours of fermentation. 72 hours. Some, yeah, some of some of the batches. We are uh, still relatively small bakery, so that, you know, we bake in a pretty small batches for the bakery that supplies nationwide. So our fermentation times um, ranges, depends on what flour we get and how okay. the flour behaves and how it responds. Okay. So, but yes, and um, what happens during sourdough fermentation, the bacteria, hungry bacteria, uh, eat all the bad stuff that uh, flour contains. And uh, let's say, especially the sourdough that is made uh, from the whole grain flour. So our sourdough, Isio sourdough, is made like half and half or something like that. We use some white flour for the texture, and then we add whole grain for nutrition because it's just better. Mm -hmm. So whole grain flour has something which is called phytase, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope that. Uh, so phytase uh, or phytic acid uh, is a component that is really, really bad for your digestion. Um, it also binds minerals, so minerals like zinc or calcium or magnesium, which, you know, good um, bread is rich in, they are bonded, not being released because of this phytic acid. Also, it interacts with your uh, digestive enzymes, mm -hmm. uh, so the digestion does not go smoothly. <laughs> and um, what fermentation does, it neutralizes it. So right. it neutralizes the phytic acid. Uh, all the nutrients become bioavailable. And uh, it also eats all the carbohydrates and, you know, starches right. and sugars that are there. 
And what happens is nutrients are available for digestion. Your guts uh, do not have to work so hard to digest it because enzymes are on point. And then the glycemic, glycemic or glycemic glycemic, index, yeah. glycemic index um, is much lower because of the sourdough process. Let's say sourdough bread will be about 54 on glycemic scale and the white bread can go up to 90. So So I want to just reiterate to uh, my listeners here. So phytic acid is an anti-nutrient and you can find that in oats, you can find it in nuts. And that's why a lot of people do different things like soaking oats, you know, overnight or nuts and things. So what the fermentation does, it neutralizes the the phytic acid and makes the nutrients more bioavailable in sourdough bread because of the fermentation. And so that's why it is so much easier to digest. And um, and obviously it, it goes to show. I also want to point out too, that we were talking about the time of fermentation and that I've noticed and I've done my research that a lot of the mass produced um, bakery, like sourdough breads that you'll find in the common grocery stores will have, first of all, it will have yeast, but second of all, it takes just a couple hours for them to produce it because they're doing it in mass quantities and shipping it out all over the United States to these chains and it's not properly fermented, if at all, and they're adding, uh, they're adding like actual f- like sour flavor to the bread to make it taste like sourdough, and so that's why a lot of people are having difficulty digesting bread in general, or think that you know they're getting sourdough. Why why is it still really difficult? It's just that you're not actually getting sourdough. <laughs> Oh, you're getting sour fox. <laughs> and yes, absolutely. Uh, the mass production of the bread or the food is actually the reason why there are so many intolerances and digestive issues now. Uh, because from the commercial standpoint, right, we have to produce a certain number of product per human hour to be able to stay in business. And um, when we are talking bakeries, most of us bakeries work on a pretty low EBITDA, right? Earnings before depreciation and tax. So let's say we will be working anywhere 8 to 15% of EBITDA will be good for um, food business like a bakery. So of course, there is a there are the squeezes, right? So you try to squeeze... Uh, more product per human hour. Uh, you try to rise your yields by adding all kind of, I'm sorry to say, crap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to avoid uh, the issues because real sourdough is such a beast. I mean, it has a character. It behaves. One day it behaves good. The other day something happens and behaves not so good. Mm-hmm. So uh, commercial bakeries add a lot of so-called dough conditioner. Mm-hmm. And many of them actually known to cause cancer or some other bad impact. And it's all to so, stop that production to get more profit. What, yeah, what are some of the dough conditioners that they add? Well, uh, the most 
well known will be potassium bromide. Potassium bromide? Yeah. Uh, it whitens the bread as far as I know. It also helps uh, the dough to rise, mm-hmm. making that, you know, rise and production production time um, much shorter. So that's something that should be avoided. Yeah. And in the United States, is considered okay to put that in food. Uh, and if you look in European Union, it will be banned. So there is a lot of stuff that people, commercial um, bread producers put in the bread to help bread rise uh, quicker. With to, just, mm-hmm, to speed yeah. up the process. Yeah, to yeah. just more just make more money right because in the end it is it is all about money and if they can make more in less time uh and take shortcuts they're going to do it and i think that's too why you know sourdough is a process you can't speed up fermentation you have to just it it takes time you know so um i love that you're explaining this and i have a question too is it is it a myth or can you truly produce a gluten-free sourdough? No, you can't. Okay. I mean, so- <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. This is my favorite topic. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I want to dig right into it because I've seen a lot now, gluten-free sourdough, gluten-free, you know, and so is, okay. So that is a myth. And why cannot, why can't you create a gluten-free sourdough? Well, uh, there is a myth that sourdough fermentation uh, reduces uh, and nearly annihilates the gluten and the flour. And there were uh, a lot of, you know, studies about it. And at some point, everyone was expecting miracles from the sourdough bread uh, made from, you know, normal whole wheat flour that uh, if you ferment it properly and you like make it properly, it should be totally suitable to eat people with celiac or it should be better for someone who has a high gluten sensitivity. No, (laughs) it doesn't work like that. Uh, Sourdough fermentation, um, of course, makes it easy to digest due to those enzymatic issues that we discuss and, you know, bioavailability of the nutrients, but it does not reduce or breaks down gluten. Because right. the bacteria uh, eat carbohydrates and sugar, and this is just you know plain chemistry. And gluten is a protein. Right. So, what about um, companies or that are making sour, like gluten-free sourdough from other gluten-free flours, like millet flour or sorghum flour, buckwheat? Like, is that is that a true sourdough bread because they're using a uh, non-glutinous flours or is that a myth as well? Well, if I am to be (laughs) a conservative, a sourdough conservative, (laughs) I can tell you that sourdough has to be made from flour, meaning flour that comes from the wheat, (laughs) you know, water, uh, starter and salt, exactly how our great grand 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 whatever parents made it <laughs> <laughs> so that uh if i'm to be a sourdough conservative however i'm quite sure that some uh, breads made from other grain sources or i'm not even sure is millet a grain 
that's a, that's a question. So no, I'm quite sure there are some good tasting products made from alternative sources. I'm literally, as we're speaking, I'm looking up uh, gluten-free sourdough, right? And a lot of these, I'll just name off one. I'm just looking on Amazon just for like reference here. So millet flour, there's um, also sugar, there's yeast, which we know that's not real sourdough. There's xanthan gum. There's um, natural, um, there's eggs in this. I'm not sure why there's eggs. <laughs> um, there's a tapioca flour. There's oils. So they're adding oils. I'm, I'm reading off different ones too. Like some of them have different um, sunflower oil, uh, raisin juice concentrate. That's weird. You know what I mean? They're adding all these extra stuff. And I'm wondering why they need to do that. It usually all, you know, taste, texture. They are trying to imitate um, the real sourdough bread and make it um, tasty for American taste buds. (laughs) American taste buds, yeah. Unfortunately, American taste buds are so... Ah, what are you... I don't want to... They're oversensitized. I think that's... That's the best, they are, they don't have, they've lost their sensitivity. Does that make sense? So we need a lot of, most Americans need a lot of extra sugar, extra flavor, extra oomph to make something really taste good because they've lost, they've lost the ability to really taste what true food tastes like. It is, it is, it is true. And that's why it's called SAD, Standard American Diet. <laughs> Sad. Yeah. It's, it's pretty sad. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still looking, I'm really trying to find a gluten-free sourdough. Um, and there's just, again, more yeast, oils, gums, sugars, uh, all these things. And they're actually adding enzymes, which is interesting. Enzymes, uh, one of our flagship products, uh, 24 ounce sourdough has some enzymes added nowadays. Okay. So is that okay? Well, it's not ideal. It's, it's not, not ideal. ideal. I Well, we have an organic version, for example. Organic version has no enzymes. It has water, <laughs> flour, and um, sourdough culture, and that's it. Uh, enzymes, how that happened is that we all talk about global warming a lot. And there are implications of global warming that are seen now already by people like us um, who run a food business. Couple of years ago, our flour has started to dramatically change, meaning uh, we were doing everything the same as you know we used to do. And Izio isn't um, Izio does not like. To change the recipes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I tell you, <laughs> we are sticking to the recipes, uh, original recipes, as much as we possibly can. So a couple of years ago, we were doing everything the same, same recipes, same everything, uh, same handling of the starters. Uh, all of a sudden, our loaves started to have this giant tunnel holes. So if you cut the loaf it will be like hollow inside uh, from, you know, the holes. Um, 
the dough was just tearing up in the oven, could not uh, hold. And um, we got a lot, a lot of complaints from all kinds of customers. Like, hey, I bought my favorite bread and I cannot even make a sandwich because my cheese and meat is falling through these holes, you know? Mm -hmm. So that happened because extremely dry and hot conditions altered uh, the protein compositions in wheat. It made it weak uh, or not strong enough to bind when we uh, bake. So there was also something with the enzymatic uh, activity. So that's why our dough was just tearing in the oven, forming those holes. And we were in the danger of you know, going out of business. And when I'm talking about dough conditioners as the potassium bromates that are very harmful for humans, mm -hmm. first uh, property is actually strengthening the dough, making it strong. So uh, for us, we would never put anything like that in our dough. Uh, so I guess our bakers found an alternative to add a little bit of enzyme that is similar to what you produce in your digest digestive. So interesting. Yeah. Um, now I want to just switch gears for a second here. And what, um, I know you have a, a, a background in nutrition and, um, Give us a little bit about, um, talk a little bit about carb cycling. Oh, well, I have a background in fitness. I'm not certified as a nutritionist. The only, <laughs> I mean, why I know about carb cycling, because I practice it myself. I'm someone who you can call a meathead. <laughs> okay. All right. So what is it? What For those that don't know, what is carb cycling? Carb cycling, uh, explaining, um, if I explain it, um, in a simple words, you break down your week in a low-carb day and high-carb day. For example, uh, with my weight um, and my goals, I will start my Monday with maybe like 50 grams of carbohydrates and you know you have all these apps and the app i am using is chronometer for example when you track whatever you eat you know and you weight food which is something is very native to me because i've been doing it my whole life this whole fitness <laughs> competitive fitness stuff so you track your carbs and let's say on monday i will be eating uh, 50 grams of carbs, which is very little, which is maybe, you know, a couple of salads and a piece of bread and that that's it yeah. for the day. And then I will gradually increase it. And in a couple of days, I will be eating a hundred gram of carbs a day. Yeah. And then my leg day comes and <laughs> I will max out. So for a little me, I will eat maybe 250 gram of uh, pure carbs, yeah. more, yeah. Uh, so that will be, I will get up, um, start my day with a bunch of oatmeal or cereal, uh, second breakfast, few giant pieces of bread, then rice two, three times a day, pasta. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I will um, do it on my heavy load days. 
this is mostly used for uh, endurance athletes to improve their you know performance improve their uh, endurance or athletes like uh, myself who look for some um, body proportion altering or you know so yeah. it's some competitive uh, fitness related i would not advise it to anyone who isn't living a lifestyle which is compatible with a lot of you know tracking and uh, sure yeah Every, yeah, everyone I want to keep in mind too, you know, everyone is different. Every body's different, every lifestyle, we have different activities. And so we may need more or less of, of certain nutrients and carbs are essential for anyone. It just depends on how much carbs, you know, if you live a more sedentary lifestyle. Um, I mean, I really do want to emphasize that even thinking requires energy. You know, if you have ever like tried to study or read a book and you're like, I just can't concentrate and you have a meal and you're like, okay, I can think a lot better. So that requires energy too. So, um, but yeah, it, it is important to figure out what you need and not just your lifestyle, but uh, are you taller? Are you shorter? Are you, you know what I mean? It, it depends. Everyone's built differently too. So, um, but yeah, carbs are important regardless. Carbs are very, very important. And, you know, speaking of everyone is different. A couple of years ago, I did this genetic testing for my um, nutritional, whatever, my, uh, it's called Genopalate. And they test you and tell you how to eat right for your genes. For your genes. Oh, yeah. I have a friend that she's really into that. And this is, you know, so interesting. My results came back and all my favorite foods were there and they were good for my, you know, um, genetic makeup. <laughs> so, so interesting. Where did you go? What's the, it's called Genopalate. Um, Genopalate. Genopalate. Okay. I'll try and, and put that in the show notes. So anyone interested can, can look that up, but I, I just love that you are sharing your personal story and also sharing the story uh, and the history of Izio, the bread the, uh, that I personally love and consume. And I know you you do too. And it's really important that wherever you go, of course, people can make their own homemade sourdough. I still want to try it. And do you guys have a like a homemade sourdough starter kit? We do. We have a dried starter and we have the flour that we use. I can send it to you and you can try. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is going to be interesting if I'm going to try and make my own sourdough. So if you are interested in making your own, uh, they do have it, but they also do have, um, they also have organic certified sourdough which uh, is amazing as well. We do, we do. Uh, we hope that at some point all of our products will be organic. And uh, as you mentioned that we eat our own products. So all of us, we do eat the bread that we produce. And I can say this is very important memo for all the foodpreneurs or, you know, anyone who wants to go and do something in a food business industry. 
is the product you produce or want to produce, um, can you scale it the way that you will still feed it to your kids? And if you can eat it yourself and feed it to your family, then sure, do it. Yeah, I... Totally. It makes perfect sense that you want, if you're in a business, you want to be able to feel confident and feed it to your family. It's what I love about your your company and still family owned. And uh, I love it. So thank you so much, Elena, for joining me today and explaining and debunking a few things on sourdough. Well, it was it was fun, and I hope everyone will understand my weird accent. <laughs> oh, well, if I can, I'm sure anyone can. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Digest This. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let us know. If you're ever wondering how you can support me and this podcast, sharing it with your friends and family is the best way. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McComb. To email the show, message us at digestthispod at gmail.com. See you next time. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and does not constitute a provider-patient relationship. As always, talk to your doctor or health team first. If you're looking to take back your health, it's time for you to listen to the Real Foodology podcast. From the producer of Digest This comes one of Apple Podcasts' top 10 nutrition shows, hosted by integrative nutritionist and real food activist Courtney Swan. The Real Foodology podcast is on a mission to change the way we eat. Courtney interviews doctors, food experts, health professionals, and nutrition pioneers to bring you the best info so you can thrive. Somewhere along the way, we lost sight of how impactful our food choices are. But it's never too late to start on the path of better health choices. You'd be so surprised how resilient our bodies are when we start taking care of them. Yes, it's overwhelming. But that's why Courtney's here to help. She breaks it down for you and makes the information more accessible so that you can make more informed decisions in the grocery aisle or restaurant. Listen to the Real Foodology podcast today on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resonant Media.